That's I just thought that Master P thing. You know, that's yeah. what it's about. All right, today's guest holds a Bachelor of Science in Psychology from the Southern University Agricultural and Mechanical College and a PhD in Clinical Psychology from Jackson State University, Brian L. Turner, PhD. Dr. Turner is a licensed clinical psychologist serving the greater New Orleans community. He's also associate professor of psychology at Xavier University of Louisiana, the director of African-American diaspora studies at Xavier and the owner of Moments of Truth, LLC. I know him as BT, been knowing him from the yard for a long time. Brother, welcome. How you doing today? Oh man, it's good to be here, brother Prejean, Mike. Oh man, there's there's a whole lot of stories that went on. I'ma just I'ma just say, look, we kicked it with Freud's son. If you ever want to know that story, come back and we'll tell y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. All right, so listen, before we dive in, I want you to tell everyone where they can connect with you. So where can they find you on social media, website, different things like that? My website is drturnerspeaks.wordpress.com. You can catch me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with my name. You should find me. If not, on Twitter and Instagram, it's N-O-J-A-G-R 504, which stands for New Orleans Jaguar out the 504. But Facebook is my name. I'm legal, so I don't have, I'm not, I don't have any priors. I'm not on papers. I don't have no attachments. So if, if you look for me, you'll find me. Um, other than that, you could also just Google me, man. Just Google. Hey, that brother is, he, he listen, he say just Google it. He out there. Yeah. He out there. All right, man. So uh, let's go ahead and dive in, you know, 10 toes. Let's go ahead and get in here, man. Tell everybody who Brian L. Turner is. Yeah. Well, first off, Mike, just it's good, brother. I had this opportunity is, um, you know, we, we it's kind of weird as I've had to think about our, our lifespan at this point. Um, 2021, I remember we came of age right before cell phones were the thing. And so I think a lot of us, when we left college and went out into the world, we didn't have home phone numbers anymore for anybody. Right. So, so like, I think a lot of us fell off. So it's just, bro, I just wanted to say thank you, bro, for seeing you and, and watching you, the work you do. Um, as a coach, as a teacher, as a husband, as a father, bro, I'm just glad that we've always maintained our space. Um, and so it's just a great opportunity to be here. Um, obviously still, man, I, I don't know last time you talked to Dr. Rackley, but, um, you know, and, and Damon, you know, that the three of us, um, through those years in Sakai and with Dr. Rackley, man. So there's always good memories, um, when I'm thinking about the y'all, when I'm thinking about our, our, our academic and personal lives. So, um, and that's really important for me to say that because that's a huge part of why I'm here, um, where I am in the day in life. Um, Definitely. Native of New Orleans, um, born and bred. My mom had five boys. As I was coming up, I had the opportunity to attend and graduate from Isidore Newman High School, uh, play football. And along the way, um, I realized that I was going to be able to try to, you know, use, use, use football to make it. And so that took me to Southern University. Um, and, and, and through the bachelor's degree and then Jackson State for my doctorate. And so um, the, the biggest part of kind of just that question that really shapes me, man, is, is relationships. Um, seeing my mother um, take care of my brothers and I and, and, and be a part of the family I was in. What I can say is like um, we never had enough money, but, but my mom always made sure we, we understood love and relationships and connection. And so what I yeah. think about yeah. is um, 
my mom made sure that over the years, man, we understood the appreciation of people and, and, and good relationships. So like, so for me, man, my motto is like food, folks, and fun. If yeah. I got good food, if I got good people, we got to have good fun. And that was really born out of out of that thing. So I, I tell anybody, they're New Orleans, and you know from being from the booth, it starts with stuff like Mardi Gras and Bayou Classic and, and Essence Fest. And then we put football yeah. and crawfish. Yeah. Like at that point, bro, like I just really have been shaped by those experiences. And that really, really, um, really shapes me as a professional. And so I, I, I can jokingly say now that I took my talents back home to New Orleans, that I was able to go out into the world, get the things I needed. And, and now, bro, it's nothing but a thing. I can still slide through the hood and get a frozen cup, a huck, a buck, a Dixie cup, whichever you want to call it. I get yeah, a yeah. Cocoa, I could give me a big shot of pineapple and I'm good. I live back in the same hood that I grew up in. A little different house, a little different situation. Got I yeah. got a few coins now you did. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, but I'm back where I'm at. I'm in New Orleans East, sir. So man, one of the things, you know, me and me and some of my partners talk about is, man, we we didn't really know that we were poor or poor-ish. You know what I'm saying? We didn't really yeah. know that, you know, we kind of grew up in the hood. It was just all we knew. Yeah. You know what I mean? So to to see you, one let man, let me backtrack a little bit. Uh, man, I saw Doc. I got a chance to get on a Zoom with him, Doctor Rackley. Uh-huh. Um, man, a few months back, he's married. Uh-huh. You know, so uh, man, got a chance to get on. You know, some of my older uh, frat brothers. You know, who've uh-huh. known him longer. You know, than I have. You know, man, they. I was blessed to to be invited. You know what I'm saying, and and get to yeah. see him again, man. Look the same. Brother don't age. Brother don't age at all. No. Nope. You know what I'm saying? So great to see him, man. But to see you, you know, take your talents back to where you're from, man, that is a blessing. You know, I followed you, um, admired you, man, for a long time because you were a much better student uh, than I was. You know what I'm saying? Playing playing ball, you know, on the yard. And, bro, you were, you were a, a great, great student, man. So, Tell us a little bit um, about the work that you're doing in the field of psychology. Oh man, so so yeah, so so wait, my wait, hold on. Be- before you because this just popped in my head, man. We were in that research program. Why did Doctor Harrison just write my paper for me? But I'm gonna just stop there. She just wrote my whole paper for me, but I'm good. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Tell us. <laughs> Tell us about your work in the field of psychology. So. So, so that that's what's again that love born out of it, right? It's like, it's like coming through Southern man. I tell anybody, you know, we're gonna get into this in a minute, man. As you kind of prep me, but like really, I did not have to go to Southern, right? I chose to go to Southern because of football. I wanted to win. The other schools that were recruiting me were not winning. Um, great opportunities. I, I mean, huge stadiums opportunities, but Southern was winning. And that really set the stage for me understanding kind of a complicated process, especially for African-Americans in America, people of African descent, persons of color, all of the different, you know, acronyms we can use to talk about non-white people. Right. And so so I remember I wanted to win. I wanted to win where it would be appreciated. And so the work I'm doing for me right now at Xavier University of Louisiana is to ensure that people who look like me win by also playing a role that can hopefully create
create a space where where winning is not an aberration or or an exception. So so one of my my biggest joy right now is really when I get students who want this path, right? And 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 not a path to just be a doctor, but the path of being someone who really can affect change. Um and and that's 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 can be as broad as you want or as narrow as you want. So sometimes I get students, they just want to affect change in their life. They want to be different from, like you were alluding to, like how we grew up, right? They don't want to live the way they used to. So that is their main focus. I just want to be able to pay my bills every month, take care of my family, and be happy. And, and that's a win. Right. That's an, ex- that's an example of winning. Yeah, because okay. if you used to not having anything and you can pay your bills and you can buy a car and you don't have to worry about them coming to get it every six months, that's that's dope. And and. And I have to recognize, and, and this is a part that is recognizing that that is, that might be very big. That might be their most self-actualized moment, right? Is knowing that they can establish a type of foundation. And then the student who wants to go out and they want to be a doctor, a president, whatever it is, they want to be a world changer. And so, so my greatest job right now really, man, is like taking students and helping them shape that pathway, hone their skills, focus, um, but also have some fun. Um, so mm-hmm. as a professor, you know, I try to bring levity to the classroom in terms of, like you said, being a good student, I appreciate that because, you know, like that was our way out, right? It was either yeah. what, what big, what Biggie said, either you sell crack rock or you have a wicked jump shot. Well, yeah, yeah. I realized when I got to Southern, I probably wasn't going to the pros. So I was like, let me make sure I handle my business in the classroom because I wasn't about to sell crack rock. So I, I picked something less stellar than, right, than both of yeah. them, but but really like shaping students at this point to help them make those decisions. As a clinician, um, you know, this is that that huge part um, for me, you know, thinking about how historically we, we talked about the, the, the myths and the stigmatization of mental health and, and the misuse of mental health against black people. When we think about the term drapedomania, which is a psychological diagnosis given to slaves who wanted to leave the plantation and didn't want to be enslaved anymore, which I still laugh and say, so you telling me you think I'm crazy because I don't want to get my, hey, wait, can I cuss? Man, yes. It's a grown folks platform. Okay, just making sure because we're going to have you on Brothers with Degrees, but we be cussing and drinking, so I just didn't know. But like, you going to tell me I'm crazy because I don't want to get my ass beat? You telling me I'm crazy because I don't want to be in bondage? Like, you you literally do that. So, so like, thinking about it, like, like bringing that up to today's forum to have students really think about this is the world we live in, that people yeah. will take your desire for excellence and, and freedom and turn it against you. And, and make you, you think you're crazy for right. wanting more. Right. Like, you crazy for wanting to ask the police officer, sir, why are you pulling me over? Well, mm-hmm. if the law say if you pull me over, you're supposed to tell me my offense. But now we fighting and I'm resisting because I, I simply want to know, if you tell me what I'm being pulled over for, this probably will end quicker. Right, right. <laughs> Right. You say I'm speeding? Okay, give me the ticket, bro. And the That's crazy it. thing, man, is that has morphed into people who aren't lawyers <laughs> needing to know the law because it may be directly connected to your survival. Your death. You know, you know what I'm saying? Your, yeah. your, your life and death. Yeah. Not yeah. knowing something that the majority of America doesn't know could be directly connected to your yeah. well-being. Yeah. Keep going, bro. So so now, nah, man, so that that that's really what I do, man. Like I I, I kind of 
have found this um subtle um space in my life where like I think at this point, man, I've achieved what I needed to achieve. And so anything I do now is one for my daughter um, to ensure her survival and success and, and the perpetuation of her through time and space and mm-hmm. then for my community, you know, so so I give myself to really just wanting to serve. Um, I have a joke about it, like Martin and Malcolm and Fannie Lou Ham and Mega Evers and everybody march. I, I try, I'm trying to tell people, like, we're not supposed to be marching anymore. Like, it's another level. Evolution. Like, Right. So like if we still march and something is wrong. So that's just the way I am. I let other people march if they want to. That's their thing. But I got other stuff I'm doing that I ain't marching. I ain't going out there to march. And you know why, Mike? Because back then we marched because there was only three channels on the TV. So yeah, yeah. marching, it's on all three channels. Whereas now, how many different streaming platforms do you have to choose channels from that? If you don't want to see more folks marching, now you can just change the channel. You change the channel. So, so, so yeah, man. So my thing, and I was going to say, oh, this is the thing I was say about therapy, go back to that point and I'll be done. Um, we need help, bro. Um, our community is, is probably struggling even more now. So because we've had successes that were attributed to individuals, but were ascribed to the whole, mm-hmm. but the whole didn't have that success. Right. So Naomi Osaka right now is being targeted by the world of tennis for wanting to take a mental health break from from the interviews, and they're going to find her financially, and then they're probably going to move to try to kick her off tour or make her do something if she doesn't want to do whatever. You right. look at the attacks on NBA players now, right? And and there's some there's a correlation. The NBA has always allowed black players to protest and speak out. So it, it makes sense that these white folks who bought tickets to go see these black players a game, now when they get mad at the players, they're throwing stuff at them. Bro, they spit on my man the other night, son. Hey, that's crazy, man. So <laughs> I'm Michael, I think it's Harriet. So he, yeah. he tweeted yesterday uh-huh. about Naomi Osaka's situation. Uh-huh. And he just, you know, it, 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 it appeared as if he was maybe thinking out loud. But he was like, I wonder if this has anything to do with her father being of Haitian descent and the history Mm. that Haiti has with France. Mm. Or the fact that she's been an outspoken critic of issues and she's saying, I'm no longer going to subject myself to white supremacy. I don't want to sit through these interviews where people are going to talk to me crazy, ask me stupid questions. It, it 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 hurts me. I don't want to be there. Right. And she has every right. I, I'm a fan. I, you know, I'm 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 a I'm oh, a wait. I'm a Naomi Osaka fan. So hey man, if she doesn't want to, why does she have to? Have to. And and he, so here's the double standard. She says it affects my mental health. Mm-hmm. In a time when society is saying we need to be more sensitive to people's uh-huh. mental health, uh-huh. you know, so what, I, other what, job, which one is it? what other job you go on where you say, Hey, I have an issue medical that I can't do this. Can they find you? And it has nothing to do with her performance. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing. She's not saying I'm not going to play. She didn't say I need, uh, I, she, she didn't say I need an extra time out. During the during the match, and no, she just said, "Hey, these these thirty minute hour interview sessions have taxed me, and I need to not do them." So yeah, so and so that's what I'm. 
Yeah, yeah. That's where I'm at, bro. That's where I'm yeah. at. And and the punishment, you know, the punishment is the fine. So it's like, okay, yeah. I'm willing, I'm willing to accept the consequence. Mm-hmm. But they're saying no, that that's not enough. That's we need to change enough. the rules. So let we, me. We I want. Thought, I want to. We hitting your pockets. We thought hitting your pockets was gonna change your mind. But since we know you got some coins, you like, well, here, take your little fifteen thousand dollars. And since the money goes to a good cause anyway, cool, that's fine. So they're like, well, wait a minute. She not gonna. She not worried about them coins. We gotta find another way to mess with her. That's it. That's yeah. it. So we gotta be prepared for that, bro. That's that's my whole point. And, and and this is the last. This is the point I'm making about it. If NBA players, NFL players, tennis stars, because we got our brothers in hockey who've been getting it, we got the racism in soccer, you know. So, 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 if our brothers and sisters who have the financial means to deal with this stuff are now saying, "Wait, this too much," then you know how me and Mike gotta get it. We 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 ain't got money like that. We gonna we gonna show up to them after uh after game press conferences because I ain't got fifteen rights to give you. Right, right. So, so if, if that's how they dealing with it, and they starting to get taxed, we know what's going on for you and I. So, before we before we jump to the the next thing, I want to go back to the winning. Give us some more examples of what winning looks like. Just All just right. give me one or two more examples of what I winning looks like. Got a brother out of Pensacola. Um, he just got hooded this year with his doctorate. We first met. I was in Pensacola, man. We we met in the gym. Um, I'm a lot bigger than I was at Southern, but you know, I still try to look somewhat healthy and athletic. But we met in the gym. My man's telling me he he thought I was a coach or something or whatever. But walk in one night, he's in my class. My man was sitting to the back on the left, out of sight, out of view. Afterwards, he tells me he wants to be a clinical psychologist. I said, okay, well, what's your GPA? He tells me. It was on that 2.3, 2.4 line. I was like, well, hey, you let me know how that go because that's not going to get it. I was cut. like, you're sitting on the left and the back. Your GPA is something. And so apparently when we wound up having more conversations, he was led to believe all you got to do is go to school, get a degree. You just keep getting a degree. There's no, like, levels of uh, evaluation that matter. So um, my man, we, we took a path. He got into a master's program. He took a 2.5 GPA, turned it to 4.0 in his master's. No, 3.98 in his master's. And now he he finished with a 4.0 for his doctor's. So that's that's an example of winning. He he wanted something, and we set out on the path. And 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 even when he had some hiccups and some bumps, you know, we stayed the course. That would be an example of winning on that other side, right? That's what he wants. He has he has dreams and and things he wants to do. Um, I think about the students, man. I've been getting hooked up with some high school students who, you know, just like you said, man, they're realizing and recognizing their situation right now. And so they're so intent. And and, and really the largest scale I would say winning, man, is that I'm going to remind folks that, you know, it's a silent majority of people who are out here every day trying to get it and do it the right way. It's the vocal majority who sometimes can get us mentally weighed down and, and exhausted because those are the kids who, out of 35 kids in the class, that one may come in or two may come in that day and act up. But there's 33 other kids who are there for to get it. And so I think about the number of high school students who reach out and want to work and want to do this work. And, and, and those are wins, man. Like to have a high school student say, well, you know, help me. What should I be taking now? How do I prepare myself? What do I need to do? Yeah, yeah. Those are great opportunities and things that 
yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to be back home. And, and I've always tried to do that. I've always tried to mentor um, and give back and be a part of things. And so those are those wins, man, like right now. And Xavier's a great platform in terms of being recognizable both in the city and around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been able mm-hmm. to do a number of things, both by being a New Orleans native, by being at Xavier, by being a PhD. But it all comes back to like like asking the question, winning, those are the wins, man, to help a young man realize his dream of getting a PhD, helping a, a young man realize that he can, like like that thing, man, like like that thing about we don't find value too often in our communities unless it's somebody who's driving a Bugatti or has a house with three stories. Like like helping students and young people realize, no, contributing to society in a healthy way and taking care of yourself, your family is, is just as important. So those have been the wins, bro, that have really helped buoy me and keep me fighting. Okay, good. So is therapy a path to winning for some people Hell who may yeah. choose so? Hell yeah. Okay. You know why, bro? Think about, you know, the, the research actually points to the fact, man, that like people can, um, we will actually um, genetically transfer traumatic experiences throughout gene pool, right? Tell that is people. wild. I remember reading that. Uh-huh. That is when when I read that for the first time, I was just like, wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Keep going, keep going. I hit name so, name. So you think about our our genetic code has been affected by the traumatic experiences. Also by winning, right? So so that's why when you think about the experiences we have, some of us we're able to live and go through situations and they don't change us. We just were able to make it through. And then some of mm-hmm. us, it seems like some stuff, the slightest little thing can throw us off. And so, so for me, like therapy is that space where one, you get to be your, your truest self and you have to face yourself, right? Yeah. Because therapy is, is, is not a fight. It's not a, a monster. It's you coming face to face with who you are, who you want to be. And so for me, Therapy has been that unlocking of like the way for us to really begin to deal with actual healing, right? Um, we we know that personality comes from the word persona out of the Greek understanding of like the mask that we wear every day to show the world who we are. But even when you go all the way back to ancient Kemetic African, understanding that the third eye, the deeper soul, the the like person that we are is based upon our connection to the community that we're in. Right. We understand that when we become disconnected to our community, then I don't know who I am. Right, right. So, right. so as Dr. Akbar said, I can I become my alien self disorder, right? I begin to act alien to who I truly am. I, I act opposite of the things that actually would actually perpetuate my survival. So when we do therapy, when I conduct therapy, it really starts at a basic understanding of who you are, what's your identity, what shapes you, what has shaped you, what is taken away from your identity, what has stolen parts of you. So so for me, therapy is probably the most effectual thing to help people begin to realize the things that they need to do in order to be healthy. So if you're not in therapy some way, shape, or form, because everybody ain't got to do therapy with Dr. Turner, but do you do you golf, right? Do you garden? Um, what do you do? Is church your thing, right? What do you do that allows you to really reconvene with, with, with like society and culture and identity and people and earth? Because at some point, what are you connected to? You know, what are you, what are, what are we healing? What are we, what are we working on? So, so therapy to me is in multiple forms, many different ways, but we all have to find a therapeutic exercise that helps us 
relax. It, it's cathartic. You know, sometimes you, you got to yell, bro. Like, I know when you played hoops and as a yeah. coach, sometimes you just got to let out that primal yeah. scream because, yeah. like, that's the only way to move forward. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to cry. That's good. So, in your questionnaire, you mentioned something about culturally competent healthcare. Yeah. So, what you're talking about right now, you know, you're talking about the different forms that therapy may take. Are those examples of culturally competent yes. mental health care? Yes, definitely. Um, thinking about my experience, so Jackson State University, um, which I try not to talk a lot about because as a graduate of Southern University, we don't really get into that Jackson right, State right, grammar right. right. But, but I went to Jackson State because I didn't want to go to Howard in D.C. and Jackson State was closer, blah, 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 right? So... So Jackson State model is to prepare clinicians to be culturally competent, broadly defined. Um, and through that work, through my training, what I came to find was that we had a lot of people who want to do work with culturally different individuals, right? Mm -hmm. So so I'm a black man, you're a black man, but we only may share so much culturally. So I still need to avail myself to understanding your cultural reference. Right. There might be certain things we may share in terms of skin tone, some lived experiences, but at the end of the day, you may have experiences that I have no clue about. And so the basis of the culturally competent individual that's practicing is that they humble themselves to understand what do I need to know about this person's cultural makeup to truly serve their needs, right? Yeah. Because yeah. unfortunately, the, the, the standard position was all I have to do is say I'm culturally competent. All I have to do is read a book. All I have to do is take a class. But cultural competence is an ever-evolving process that we have to continuously do. So culturally competent is about race, gender, ethnicity, um, religiosity, spirituality, gender identity, sexual identity, nationality, indigenous status, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Spirituality, faith, belief system. So so mm -hmm. at no point in time do I ever feel like I am an expert in cultural competency. Now, I might be called an expert in teaching how to become culturally competent, but I never know who walks through my office door. I never know which student walks through my door. So every person gives me a great opportunity to say, okay, well, here's something I'm not sure. Can you teach me? Can you tell me where I can go? And so to be a culturally competent therapist, clinician, means that a person has to take themselves to task. Yeah. You have to get down in the weeds and understand what makes Mike or Sheila or James or whoever, this person, what is the individual versus the cultural context that they come from? And sometimes that's what we're trying to figure out. Where are the, the potential tension and like boundary disturbances that occur that can cause this person to, to not be their best selves? It, it sounds like an experience that has so many layers because you have to understand the individual and then you have to understand the individual in its, not its, in their cultural context. Uh -huh. And if you're not familiar with that cultural context, now you have to immerse yourself there uh -huh. and deal with some of your stuff, perhaps, yep. in order to be able to provide the service. Man, that's some rich, 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 rich a, stuff right there. I had a supervisor who said, and this stuck with me, and it still does, and I tell my mentees and advisees and people I trust it, the best persons make the best clinicians. And his point was that if you're a good person, you never want to offend the person you're helping. So before you offend them, you'll go and learn. You'll take yourself to task. 
But if you're not a good person, you're going to make an assumption. Well, I know what black men think. I know what black women think. I know what an Asian woman feels. I know what a Latina, I know what a trans person feels. And you're going to make mistakes. So, so just as you said, like that, that really means that a person has to be sensitive to understanding that I need to understand who this person is, what their goals are, what they're trying to achieve. And then in, in, in inverse, I also have to know where they're coming from. You know, I have to understand what is it that they're trying to, to really tie into. And then sometimes what they're running from, I had a young man one time who just really struggled with being a black man. And, and because he seriously had been told that his black male status was all going to be negative. And, and while he could readily avail himself to what his phenotypical representation of his ethnicity and gender was, he was doing everything he can to run from it. And, and we really got to the point to talk about that being his, his space. And, and, you know, we sat out on a path and unfortunately he discontinued therapy, but he was changed. He came to understand that it wasn't that he was a bad person. It was that he was told that being a black man was a negative. He was told that being a black man in America would not do any good for him. And once we got to the point where he could understand that he had been given lies and misinformation, then he was able to start to think, okay, well, why was I lied to? Why was I given this? And I was like, well, think about it. You're a threat. Yeah. So if I can make you doubt yourself, well, now you're not a threat. So what, in your opinion, in your professional opinion, what, if anything, can a person do to prepare themselves for the therapeutic experience, for the experience of therapy? Because you, you, it sounds like you're going to have to face some things that may make you uncomfortable, that may be difficult. So is there, is there any groundwork that can be done? You know, it's like when you go to the dentist, you got to have a root canal. The dentist is like, listen, before we can do this, I need you to take these pills, you know, yeah. for, for two weeks. And then you'll come back in a couple of weeks. You know, these pills are going to, yeah. you know, prevent infection once we do yeah. the root canal. So is there anything similar to that that a person can do before they decide, you know, hey, let me let me go ahead and dive into therapy? Yeah, man. So so like I actually something I started doing. Um, so I was working in a college counseling center um, and I realized I would get a lot of. And I was at a predominantly white institution, so I would get a lot of African Americans and non-white people who would talk to me about therapy and want to know what it was like. And so, I now in my private practice do a thirty-minute consult before somebody comes to therapy. I say, "Look, I'm not charging for this. This is me and you just talking, right?" And so, to your point, what I try to do is I try to prepare people for understanding that therapy is what I call, or what has been called, a consciousness-raising awareness process, right? Okay. Whatever you've been dealing with at this level, I'm trying to get you to get above that, right? Because we operate every day at the level we're at, but if we're going to do therapy, we're going to have to start to try to bring you up. And so so what I try to do in that consult is talk to people about their goals, um, their motivations, you know, what, what they want to have happen. Um, I try to really immerse myself in that individual. So really, to be honest with you, Mike, the work is really trying to figure out for me what can I do. Um, I actually, I did a, 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 I visited a class. Well, I didn't visit the class. It was virtual, but they were in Philadelphia and I was here, but we talked about this because they were a new clinician. And I talked about, it's really my job to find out what I can do to help. So really the thing is like, I would tell anybody, be open with the clinician about what you want to have happen. 
if you have any past trauma, family issues, if there's any, you know, psychological distress, i.e. depression, anxiety, um, you know, whatever it might be, depersonalization, like you got to be honest with that because as a as a consumer, and this is important, especially for African-Americans, because we can be great consumers of like Cadillacs and Jordans and Balenciagas and, you know, Louis Vuittons. But when it comes to some things like dental health, medical health, mental health, we, we, we be hands off sometimes. So, so yeah. just like we're good consumers and know that it needs to be the same, you need to make sure that the clinician certified, right? Um, and I say this not openly. What I try to tell people, there's a difference in the levels of care you can get. You have a person with a master's, social worker. You have somebody who's in a related field that may not be a clinician, and you have a PhD. So it's like buying a hamburger. You get a McDonald's hamburger, you get a Five Guys hamburger, you could go to Houston. Yeah. You know that you go to McDonald's, it'll sustain you, but can you really, and should you really be eating a McDonald's hamburger every day? Right, right. Probably not. Five guys, better ingredients, a little bit better ambiance, but once again, you're still teetering on that line. You shouldn't be eating five guys every day. Yeah, yeah. But at yeah. that doctorate level, and, and this is the point, not just doctorate level, but you got to look at a person, how long have they been practicing? You know, do you know anybody who's had their services that can um, attribute to them or ascribe to them a greater value of success or, like, competency, right? But when you get to that higher level, now we're talking about going to Houston's, and I don't know. Houston's have really good burgers. But I don't know about you. When I go to Houston, I'm not ordering a burger. That's right. That's right. That's right. I'm ordering that pecan encrusted salmon. Or I'm gonna get that good cob salad. Or I'm gonna get that that prime rib or T-bone steak with the shrimp on top. And you know, so so my point is not to belittle anybody, but if we're gonna talk about what you should do as a consumer, you gotta consider where you eat. Right. You you gotta talk about the levels. You, you yeah. gotta talk about the levels yeah. too. Okay. So that was that's one thing. Think about that. Be open with the clinician. Um, you know, now I'm gonna do the last one because this to me is important. Gotta talk about the money part. Because I don't take insurance just personally because it's just me. If I took insurance, I'd have to pay I'd have to raise prices to pay somebody to do the insurance. So right. I try to stay in a space where most people can afford me, but I still have to try to, you know, live my life. So you got to think about the financial commitment. Actually, most of my clients I only see between three months to six months, mm -hmm. sometimes every week, sometimes every other week. So at about $100 a session, calculate that. 200 a month for six months, that's $1,200. But if that helps you alleviate the mental, emotional, psychological stress, and you can go live your full life now, that's $1,200, that's an investment, right? And that, that's important. That's important you said that because we, we talked about is therapy is a path to winning. You said, hell yeah, it's an investment. So yep. if we're not going to invest in our own winning. Well, how you going to win? There it is. I there mean, you look at, look at LeBron. They say LeBron invests what a million dollars a year to keep his body physically fit. Well, when you make a hundred million dollars a year, bro, that's, that's a cheap investment. That's change. That's, change. that's a cheap investment. So, yeah. So, so that, and, and, and I tell people because I do sliding scale, we can talk. I, I mean, I got people that, you know, they pay how they can, man, because it's not about me. And so go back to that. That's winning for me to be able to do what I do. And that's something I tell people. If you go to a clinician and they're more worried about when you're going to make your next payment than they are about your well-being, you got to think, well, why am I here then? This person more worried about their own coin, you know? Yeah, yeah. One, one last thing. 
before we, we jump into the next segment. What is the greatest issue that you stand for? And you've touched on a lot of things, but yeah. if you can just boom, this is what Dr. Brian Turner stands for. What is it? At this point, man, you know, and I kind of thought about this some more. Um, my greatest issue is to really see my daughter grow up and be happy, bro. Like, like that's really my greatest issue. I thought about that. I was like, I gave a very politically astute answer, but for my heart, I need my daughter yeah. to grow up one day and just be like, Daddy, I got this. I'm, I'm doing it, right? I'm happy. You provided for me. You took care of me. So that's really my number one. And I, I talk about that because in a lot of ways, my daughter, my daughter started a birth uh explosion in my family there had not been a child born in my family for almost 23 years wow. until my daughter was born right and so since she's been born now there have been nine more kids born in my family between my nieces and nephews and cousins and stuff like that so there's a little brood happening yeah, which is really yeah. dope to see them kind of come because i didn't want my daughter to be alone growing up so it's really yeah. nice that she have cousins um so that's really important but when I think about me, Brian Turner, like as I stand on my own, my greatest issue is really the fact that we have come full circle to a point where we are now fighting again for the full equality and equity of all persons. Um, you know, we can get into spiritual, psychological, emotional stuff, but at the end of the day, man, like we are at a point in, in, in time where our country, people in our country, people around the world are once again, um, discriminating, um, prejudice, prejudice, prejudicing. I think that's the right way to say that. We want, we're going to let us make up a word prejudicing. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we, everybody, we know what you mean. Yeah. In ways that it takes away from the full faith of society. So whether it be race again, ethnicity, um, spirituality, faith, sexual identity, gender identity, um, indigenous status, because once again, we're still dealing with st with the issues on the border. You know, we're getting laws. We're getting we're back to having laws about voting, man. Like like people are taking away voting rights again. So so at this point, man, we have to use and I have to use any of the privilege that I have innately or that I've earned to stand for anybody who's being treated unjustly. And and so yeah. my greatest yeah. thing is to to call people to arms, not to go get a gun arms, but to come to arms, like this is what we're fighting for, that we actually have to once again stand for those who are being persecuted. And and I learned that at Isidore Newman High School when I saw my Jewish classmates have pride for their heritage and culture in such a way that they were able to also stand for and support other people. And that's something that I, I've actually tried to point students to is to go back and actually take a look at how um, the Jewish community became stalwarts in the fight for civil rights. And then also the Catholic Church, that there was a turning point where the Catholic Church had to face its fears. But then we still turn around and we see where the Catholic Church, Georgetown University, and the Jesuits used the slave, the GU-272. Yeah. So, like, we still have to contend with those things. But... But that is where I am, man. Like, we've got to get back to understanding that our fellow person's, like, life, livelihood, and their existence is tied to our own. So so we can't take any steps backward, man. we got to get back in this fight for our, our humanity. That's good. That's, that's good stuff. We are connected, man. We are connected. We are connected. We are connected. All right. Yeah. We're going to jump into, into this next section. So 
let's talk about recommended reads. What uh-huh. books are you reading right now? Well, I know technically you're not reading because your semester is over, but <laughs> what would you recommend someone else read? Yeah. So, so I, I joke now, man, about reading because <laughs> I think we've had this, uh, we've been inundated with people who just write books. That's actually probably why I still haven't finished the books I've been writing because I'm like, oh, they got so much stuff to write. But this is what I would say. I, I gave you a couple, but the books that I, I'm tied to, um, one, Angela Neil Barnett's Sojourners, a book that looks at how black women specifically deal with anxiety and mental health issues. But it's a great read for anybody to take the time to realize what's out there that helps. Um, Carter G. Woodson, Miseducation of the Negro, and many people may not know, but he also wrote The Education of the Negro, which is actually a prequel to Miseducation of the Negro. But those two books are huge in terms of like laying a foundation for understanding what happened in America in terms of wanting to keep black people uneducated and miseducated. Mm-hmm. But then the education is literally all the stuff we should know. So those two um, by Dr. Woodson, Joy DeGree Leary's Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, once again, a great book, been a, a huge thing um, in terms of looking at things. I will put with that uh, Michelle Alexander's book, um, The New Jim Crow. That's mm-hmm. another huge one that I think brings to this point. Um, when, when I talk to younger students and they act like they don't know what's going on, I put them on Dr. Naeem Akbar's Breaking Up. There we go. Dr. Naeem Akbar. Right yeah, yeah. Dr. Naeem Akbar's Breaking the Psychological Chains of Slavery. I think that's another great um, book that touches on um, the psychological effects of being black in America and how we contend with it and how in many ways we become um, um, we, we turn inward in terms of like self-hate like instead of fighting against the system that oppresses we start to hurt ourselves so I think that's mm-hmm. a huge one um, for Christopher Emden for white folks who teach in the hood and the rest of all y'all I think that's a good book that brings to bear what actually happens in terms of like our educational system in terms of what happens in the classroom and these systems about how we're supposed to be teaching and then how we use these systems once again to oppress and limit the opportunities. And then I like a good um, Django-type book, so Daniel Rasmussen's American Uprising, also because it happened in the untold story of America's largest slave revolt. I'm tired of books and stories about black people not winning when we was winning. So, like, there's way more slave revolts and uprisings where black people won and fought. So, like, that's one that I tell people, go read this one. Let me show you how serious brothers and sisters was about getting out of this stuff because, yeah, you know, yeah. the system will have you believing and thinking we were just some happy slaves yeah, walking around. But yeah. No, we wasn't. No, we've been fighting the system. So so that's my recommended reading. All right, now, I ain't read nothing. I'm sorry, but I'm honest. I ain't read nothing. <laughs> I'm not going to read nothing for a couple more weeks because I don't want to. Hey, man, you, you got to take a break. Rest yeah. is, uh, somebody said yesterday, rest is revolution. You yeah. know, man, you, you yeah. gotta you gotta rest, reset. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be but I wouldn't be right if I didn't say the last thing that I read and I still been going back to it though, Dr. Mike Eric Dyson's uh uh Barack Obama book about the black president. So so that's been and I can't remember the name right now because I put it down, but that's been a book that I've been going back to because of some of the things he talks about that Barack Obama dealt with as president that it's just a, a bigger conversation. So that's been a huge one. His book about the Obama presidency. Okay, okay, it's not a bad list. It's not a bad list at all. All right, man, what you listening to? What what what's on your playlist? 
Man, look, I'm old school, bro. I I don't have a, a streaming platform. Okay. So I really don't know what to listen to. So I put Pandora on and whatever kind of plays comes on. Um, but what I would say is I, I get snippets of the new J. Cole, J. Cole joint. So I've been trying to catch that. Um, other than that, it's kind of just a mix of what may be popular, whatever's on between Kendrick, Wayne. Because I'm still into rap and hip hop. I'm trying not to get into some of the like four stuff. I, I still can't do um, the little thug like NBA young boy and yeah, like, young yeah, yeah. Thug. like I still can't. That just don't move me. So same, same here, man. So so yeah, um, I'm trying. I'm gonna try to catch this new Kylie DJ Kylie's album at some point and check that out, but. But the reality is, I still go old school, bro. So I'm gonna bump Earth, the Elements. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, when it's that time, I want to listen to some Key Sweat. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, hey, that's that's how it is. Little Nita Baker. Um, but of course, I rock with um, you know some gospel. Hezekiah Walker, Bishop Martin out of New Orleans. My yeah. pastor actually tends to do some good music. Uh, Bishop uh, designated Tyrone Jefferson. So yeah, some good stuff. And then of course the homeboy PJ Martin and uh, taking yeah. the bangers. Those are things that I can regularly play in my house and not worry about it because my daughter be listening. Oh yeah, so, oh know, yeah. So I can't, can't do it. So she can't. Even though, look, I played this and I he was talking about it, but that high sizzle joint get you some. So I was playing it and here yeah. go my daughter. Oh, I know that song. No, you don't. You don't know that song. You don't know that song. Yes, <laughs> no, I do. No, you don't. No, so, you did. There's another song that sound like this one. This ain't it. Right, right, right. But yeah. at the end of the day, Mike, I'm from New Orleans, so as long as I hear that Trigger Man beat, I'm about that life, you hear me? So, Man, I yeah. hear you. Man, listen, I wanted to, when I was leaving high school, I wanted to go to school in New Orleans so bad. I, mean, <laughs> I, was, trying, I was trying my damnness to get to New Orleans. I had a little scholarship to go to Xavier. It was, it was a little scholarship. It wasn't nowhere near going to cover tuition. So when I came to grips with that, I was like, man, maybe I can go to UNO. And my, my parents was like, eh, we really don't want you to go. Because listen, man, I was going like my brother, my older brother, four years older than me. So uh-huh. he's in college. I'm like freshman in high school. We probably yeah. actually went to New Orleans before then. Like my parents would just, you know, I mean, one year my aunt just gave my brother the keys to the car. I I think he was a senior in high school. Dude, we, we had to buy you classic. Yeah. So I had fallen in love with man the atmosphere so i was trying everything i could man to get to to get to new orleans for school i ended up at southern which is great i'm glad i'm glad i ended up where i ended up man but listen i love love new orleans i tell people all the time man new orleans should not be part of louisiana it should be like dc you know what i'm saying just be the district (laughs) of new orleans you know what i'm saying because it's its own little distinct uh place all right man any podcast you listen to any podcast definitely man so i've been following you so i'm gonna rep the network um black agenda with devin dito and adrian guest and while black with darius hicks um i actually have tended to to kind of stay away from some of the hyper uber podcasts where people get a little bit too much in themselves i like podcasts where people are actually talking about things and doing the work and really changing culture so that's that then i I will shout out me and the homie uh, my partner Jeff, uh, we do a little joint call, um, Brothers with Degrees. Um, we we do this every every two weeks if time allows us. So actually, this Thursday we're supposed to be back on. So that's why I, I try to get my podcasting from man. There's a couple other ones I jump in on, but but by time is a the issue. So the yeah. ones I really follow, I'm I'm a support. So. Okay, good stuff. Good stuff. 
All right, man. So next up, we got rapid fire and word association. So I got about 10, 10 questions, right? For the rapid fire. And then when we first started, man, talking, you were all in my uh, word association. You was just hitting every word. I was like, man, he was, it's like I showed him my paper or something, Uh right? So we're going to start off with this rapid fire, man. You ready? Yeah. All right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna start you off like this. Would you rather move to a new city or town every week or never be able to leave New Orleans? I'm gonna never leave New Orleans. Okay, all right. Uh, who's your celebrity crush? Serena, bro. Okay. Serena, Serena, Gina for Lopez. All right. Um, if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? So, so technically, I don't know if it's a superpower. I would want to be Mister Incredible. Would that fit? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, no box. Okay, cool. Because I actually asked this question in class on first day. I asked well, if you have a superpower. So mine is Mister Incredible because he could do everything. That's it. He can do everything. He's strong yeah. enough. He's fast enough. It, I, he can't fly, but somehow he always gets where he needs to be because he's yeah. fast enough. So, yeah. yeah, Mr. Incredible would be the one because he could do everything. He's Mr. Incredible, yo. That is. That is. <laughs> All right. Are humans better at creation or destruction? Creation, bro. Creation. Agree. All right. Favorite TV show? Like now or just ever? Just e- either or or both. Right now, my favorite show had been um, Power. Okay. All right. But for life, favorite show, Cosby Show. Cosby Show. Okay. Talking or texting? I'm a talker. Okay. iOS or Android? I got both. So, (laughs) but I got to choose. Um, I'm gonna go with the 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 iPhone just because FaceTime. Yeah, so yeah. Many different apps on the Android. I gotta do Google Duo or WhatsApp. Too many. Yeah. I try to tell my wife every day, man. She she don't she don't listen. I try to tell her every day. Netflix or YouTube. Netflix. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes. What's the best thing you ever bought? Ever. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> Boy, you stupid, man. Oh, uh, the best thing I ever bought. Wow. Um, probably my house, man. Like this is my place of peace, you dig. So I got the guns with the Tourette's on the top. If you come too close, you're not supposed to be here. You might get bumped off, you dig. So you gotta I got the ADT, I got the rock while I feed him gunpowder so he can devour. So yeah, you can't get in here without knowing what's out. So oh, my house. Oh. Only the real one's going to get the reference. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, man. Last question for, for rapid fire. Well, first, let me ask. Do you have a boat? Do I have a boat? A boat. No boat. Okay. So what would you name your boat if you had one? Mm, if I had a boat, what would I name my boat? Um, dang. Hmm. See, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I just went through a whole bunch of thoughts that would probably be inappropriate, but um, 
you know, because I was going to go with the whole, you know, stepbrothers reference, boats and hoes, but that's so inappropriate. Yeah. But that was what just came to my mind, right? So, yeah, so yeah, it's like yeah. right now, if I was going to be destroyed by something in Ghostbusters, it would be boats and hoes because that's mm -hmm. what happens, right? Think of what's going to destroy you. But if I had a boat, it would probably be, um, it, it would probably be uh, Blair Bear, my daughter's name. I would probably do Blair Bear. Okay, okay, okay. All right, man. Not, not bad, not bad. All right, now we got word association. You ready? Uh -huh. Now, again, when we first started, man, you were hitting all of these, okay? So I got about, about seven or eight things, man. All right, you ready? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. Southern University. The best. Mardi Gras. Oh. Buku fun. Reparations. Give me my coin. Essence Festival. She fine as a mug. The Swack. <laughs> Southern wins another championship. Okay. The Classic. The Granddaddy of them all. Therapy. We need it. And then the last one, Dr. Reginald Rackley. The man, the myth, the legend. Hey man, there it is. There it is. All right, bro. Now this next segment is called You Didn't Ask. This is the segment which you get to give advice that nobody asked for, but you're going to give it to them anyway. So what do you have for You Didn't Ask? All right, here we go. First, don't loan money to people who can't pay it back and expect them to pay it back. There They're it probably is. asking you for it because they can't pay what they're paying. So if you're going to give it to them, give it to them. Next, take care of yourself first so that you can take care of those that you're responsible for. And sometimes you have to take care of some people you're not responsible for. And then, I already alluded to this, the three things that I live by. Good food, good folks will get you good fun. If you got at least two of those in life, the third is very likely to follow. You can't have two of them and the third come up lame. Love it, man. I love that. All right, I'm going to talk to you about uh, a couple of potential guests. So I'll talk to you once we're done recording about those. Uh -huh. I definitely want to get those people. But last words, last words. We used to end on you didn't ask, but you know black folks never leave the first time they say they're leaving. Yeah. So we're going to leave on this. So any last words? What else would you like to share? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to just read this, what I, what I put, because I, I like the way it is, and I want to I wanna nail this. 2021 coming out of this pandemic it's time for african americans to specifically reclaim our splendor i think over time we have lost a bit of what was the guiding principle in our communities because of what i said earlier because we allowed some individual successes to overshadow the collective need so we have to reestablish our relationship with facts and righteousness. It's time for us to divorce ourselves from the culture of consumerism and consumption. It's time for us to recreate and re reestablish the collaborations to provide for the next generation. What that means is it's time out for me, me, me. It's back to we and us. No me and I, but we and us. So we must see the true beauty of our collective survival. This is what we call Ubuntu. Um, for those who want to look it up, it's the principle that I am because we are. 
So that means we have to reject the isolation of Western ideology that trumpets, pun intended, competition and control. At the end of the day, if we really practice Ubuntu, life is better when we share the superordinate goal of achieving and maintaining peace and love versus war and hate. So if there's anything I can share that within our community, first and foremost, in our in our individual homes we start, we have to make sure we're building each other up in our individual homes, then in our schools, right? So that's another point of this, right? Oh, yeah, this is why I was going to dovetail right quick because I thought about this too. Like we got to get back to our kids, our families, um, supporting and blessing the edifices in our communities that build our community. So like in New Orleans with this all charter movement, well, that's fine. But if you're a parent and you just drop your child off at school, that's not good. Yeah. If you yeah. send your child to Xavier or Southern or Prairie View or wherever, you can't just drop your child off. You need to become a part of that community as much as you can when it goes to the communities, right? Like, like adopt kids in your neighborhood, like pour into them. Because, and here's the last point about this. If you don't adopt that child in your neighborhood and establish a relationship with them, you might be that person that that kid robs one day because they don't know you. People yeah. don't tend to rob the people they know. <laughs> That's they right. tend to protect them. And so that would be my point of like, at this point, I'm, I'm asking all people, especially in my community, those that I'm connected to, we have to reestablish this center, this excellence. That's great, man. That's it, man. BT, man, I appreciate it. Thank you for blessing us with your presence today. Um, we got to do this again for sure. Oh, we definitely got to do this again, man. I appreciate it. Listen, this is the network. This is my attempt at creating a modern podcast version of the Negro Motorist Green Book. Every interview, we're building a network of talented black professionals like Dr. Turner that you can reach out and touch. Every episode is designed to help your physical, mental, spiritual and financial help. This is Mike Prejean, Dr. Brian Turner. This has been a network. Peace. Much love, brother. Thank you, sir. Salute.